You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information visit commongroundcma.org. Alright ladies and gentlemen, hi my name is Nick. Alright, yeah. Um, so I get to explain some of the whys of what's going on tonight. Like, for example, refuge. Why do we call this refuge? Uh, we call it that because a refuge is a safe place. It's a place of rest. And we call it that because the Bible tells us over and over again that God is our refuge and that Jesus Christ is the only place where we are able to find refuge. The fact that, that he sacrificed, he's a God who sacrifices himself, as we just recognized, um, is, is the way we find refuge from our sins and the brokenness of life. Um, we worship, we sing songs, because um, when I come in here and I start singing, I, I come in here with a lot of stuff in my heart. Yeah. Probably a lot of stuff that doesn't need to be in my heart, shouldn't be in my heart. And as we sing, I kind of have to get that stuff out of my heart so I can put God's praises into my heart. So there's there's this transformation that begins to happen. Why do we sit at tables? Well, Brian just kind of explained that because we actually get to interact with each other. Uh, you know, how many of you have been to church and it just doesn't seem like you get to interact? It's like you come in, do your stuff, and then you leave. Well, we want to encourage, you know, the family feel of, of Christ as we gather here. And uh, and then we, we open up God's Word and we look at it. Well, why do we do that? Um, why, why is that part of what we do? Well, it's because we believe that at some time in your life, you're going to encounter God and you ought to recognize Him when you do. And God did a really cool thing by revealing Himself to us and, and putting that down in words. And He's real honest. He is super honest. And sometimes in His honesty, I don't like Him. <laughs> There's some things I'm going, I don't know what to do with that. I don't know how to handle that. But, but God in His, in His goodness just says, hey, this is who I am. And He keeps making Himself known to us so that we begin to grow and understand Him and then know how we ought to walk in Him. So that's my job tonight is to open up the Bible with you. Uh, and there are Bibles at your table. Some of you might have an app on your phone. And uh, I would like you to open it up to Psalm 3. And we're going to talk a little bit about this passage tonight or this, this Psalm actually. See, when we come to the Bible, we uh, we are hoping, this is what we're hoping is going to happen here and, and tonight and in subsequent Friday nights for those who gather. And we hope you invite people to come back with you next week. Um, we hope that, that we will begin to learn how to rest in commitment rather than in curiosity or consumerism. Uh, we are hoping that we'll learn how to rest in community rather than, than feeling like a misfit or an outcast wherever we go. And we're also hoping that we learn how to rest in what it means to contribute to God's business instead of being consumed by all the busyness that's that's going around our in our life today. So because of that, uh, Brian and I, we talked and we thought, well, let's preach through a series of, uh, of psalms with the idea of Selah. Selah is this weird Hebrew word, okay? And there's a lot of confusion as to what this word means exactly. And, and we really don't know other than it kind of is telling us that in the midst of what we're reading is, is just stop for a minute. Um, the Psalms were songs and they were written for musical instruments. And uh, they're even saying, don't, don't even play your instruments at this point. Uh, just take a, take a rest there. The Hebrew language is kind of strange. It doesn't have punctuation like we do. 
So in a way, Selah is the closest thing to a period in, in the Hebrew language. And you always stop when you get to a period. So we're going to look at these things and say, well, why, why is God telling us to stop? What is it that he wants to say to us here? Now, we also hope that this time will be a little interactive. We're going to give you opportunity to talk around the tables, and maybe you might even want to talk, throw something at me. Uh, not literally, uh, <laughs> while I'm up here. And, it, and it's okay to do that. That freaks me out a little bit to say that. You know, but uh, yeah, you might have a question or something, and uh, it might be good to pause and say, let's make sure we all understand that. Uh, and, and if there's anything up here where you go, man, I really want to talk more about that, please understand that, that I would love to sit down and have a cup of coffee with you anytime and, and talk more deeply about these things. But the other thing is this, is I really believe that Brian's job, my job, any preacher's job, any teacher's job, is to kind of explain what God's Word says to you not so that you leave and go, okay, check, got it. But so that you go, okay, I think I understand this text a little bit better. Now I'm going to dig into it. Now I'm going to read it. Now I'm going to spend some time in this. So our hope is, is that you do Psalm 3 every day from, from this day on until next week. That you just dig in and you get a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And it's okay to have more questions. And it's okay to dig a little bit deeper and find that. So, here we go. Let's just jump right into it. Um, The Psalms. So, if you're reading the Bible, it's kind of interesting how the Bible's laid out. It's like a little library. Okay? The first 17, well, you got an Old Testament, you got a New Testament. The Old Testament tells the story about God and his people, Israel. The New Testament tells the story about God who came in the flesh and his people, the church. Okay? The Old Testament prefigures the New Testament. The New Testament fulfills the Old Testament. Old Testament written in Greek, or I'm sorry, Hebrew originally, New Testament written in Greek, all right? And, and then we tried to figure out how to, how to make that all sense in English. And guess what? Hebrew and Greek don't translate into English very well. So that's what makes it kind of tough for us as we're reading and going, how do we understand this? What does that word mean? So we're going to do our best to kind of figure that out. Uh, the other thing is this. When you read the Old Testament, the first 17 books are historical books. So you're basically reading the story of the Old Testament of God and his people. The next five books are poetry. Anybody like reading poetry? No? Yeah? No? Okay. Um, yeah. Ray does. Okay. Because he's Canadian. Apparently they like that. Because they're... Culture. They're culture. Yes. Yeah, I was just going to say weird, but... <laughs> he's throwing stuff at me. But, you know, poetry is not my bag. I'm just going to say that right now. It is not my bag. And, and here's the thing about Hebrew poetry is the words don't rhyme. You know, I don't get that. The words are supposed to rhyme. But in Hebrew poetry, the ideas rhyme. And that's what they do. They present one idea, and then they contrast it, or they compare it to another idea. And they give you all these figures of speech. And then the last 17 books of the Old Testament are prophecy books. And you have to figure out where they fit in the history to better understand them. So we're looking at Psalms, and what Psalms does is reveal God's heart to his people. Because that's what poetry is. It gets a little bit more into the the heart of the matter. And it messes with our our feelings. And God is a God who responds to us with emotion. And he has us respond to the emotion as well. Not just our feelings, but also our our thoughts and our our intellect as well. But, uh, you know, sometimes we forget to bring our heart into our faith. And so psalms are really good to help us to do that. The other thing about psalms is that they are musical prayers. Okay, they're, they're kind of like Israel's hymn book. And God inspired these prayers about himself. Can you imagine that? And, and, and it kind of goes like this. Remember the disciples sitting around with Jesus and they went, Lord, 
teach us to pray. Well, he did in the Psalms. If you want to know how to pray, read the Psalms and start praying the Psalms. In fact, that's what I'm going to ask you to do with Psalm 3 when we're all done with this, is to turn it into your own prayer, to pray out the scripture. And guess what? The, the, the Psalms are extremely honest. A lot of them were written by a man named King David, and there are times when he is really tipped off while he's praying. I mean, absurdly ticked off. And one of the things that taught me right there is it's okay to bring my anger to God. I, he doesn't expect me to come and be all polite. He expects me to come and pour, him out, pour out my heart to him. And I think that's something we have to learn how to do again. So with, with that little background about that, um, we're going to dig into Psalm 3. All right. And before we even get to the first Selah, uh, we're going to think about what it's going to tell us to do. And what I want you to do right now is reflect for a moment on how sobering the difficulties of life are. Just think about that for a minute. How sobering are the difficulties of life? Because I think we all know it, right? Life's pretty difficult. Life can be really tough. So I'm going to confess something to you. My mind is constantly endlessly full of anxiety. It's something I haven't learned how to turn off. It's the kind of thing that wakes me up in the middle of the night, and I will feel a thousand different things telling me how badly I screwed something up. That's what my mind does to me. Isn't that great? My brain is not my best friend. <laughs> so sleep sometimes is, is difficult for me. And, I, and can you guys relate to that? Can some of you relate to waking up in the middle of the night because your dumb brain kicks in on something and, uh, and, and gets you going? Like, hey, you know what we haven't thought about for a while? Monsters. You know, oh, yeah. And the brain just wants to run with that. Well, how about your to-do list? Do you have a pretty big to-do list? You sometimes look and think, I've got so much stuff, I've got to get done, and I don't have enough time for that. Or how about this? Expectations. Do you feel like you just have thousands of expectations on you? And sometimes they're not even expressed. You start making up expectations. <laughs> Uh, that people might have for you, whether they really had them for you or not, you're, you're thinking about that. Or maybe sometimes it's just the circumstances of life. The circumstances of life. So you've already gone around the table and you've talked about um, what we like to call the happy crappies. Uh, <laughs> the highs and the lows of your week. What was happy, what was crappy, that kind of thing. And, and I'll bet you, uh, did some of you kind of hold back on the negative stuff? knowing that there's, there's a whole lot there. That if I really opened my mouth and said, this is what my week was like, I'd probably dominate the discussion for the rest of the night. Uh, anybody feel like that? So coming into this night um, was not, it was, it, was a, it was a rough week. It was just one of those tough weeks. Because number one, it was, it was a shorter week than it should have been. Why in the world are we launching a service on a four-day week? You know, we needed that extra day. And then I lost another day because I had to go to the hospital and sit with my father-in-law, who's really having a tough time. But you want to talk about, you know, being besieged in life. This man has had more surgeries than I can keep track of. I can't count them. And now we're trying to keep him from having another surgery. 
And so that's really high on our plate right now, or really big on our plate right now, is dealing with that. So what we're doing here, as I'm talking about this, is we're reflecting on sometimes how difficult life can be, and it's very sobering, and the Bible says, do that. Just stop for a minute and think about how life goes for you. And you might be in a point where life is great. Or you might be able to look back and say, man, I can remember my time, my, a time in my life when it really blew. It was kind of good. And I can also say, and I hate to make this, I, I hate to say this, but you know, there's going to come a time. There's going to come a time in our lives where we just feel like there is so much. Okay, with that in mind, let's look at Psalm 3, verse 1. This is the Psalm of David. Uh, you're going to notice the heading in your Bible that was part of the inspiration that was given to us. The, the, the choir masters or the people that were, uh, that were uh, collaborating, putting all this, this music together in the Old Testament, were writing down these notes as to what these songs pertain to. And you're going to see something that gives us a hint about what was going on in David's life when he wrote this psalm. And he says this, O Lord... How many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him. Okay? What did you see in that passage or hear in that passage? And you can, you can throw this back at me. What did you hear or see in that passage that I just read? Just that one verse there. Was it two verses? Two verses. Okay, what, 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 I'm going to have to have you raise your hands or something. So what did you say, Allie? Everybody's against me. Okay. Somebody else was saying something? He was desperate. He was desperate. Okay. All right. Uh, we're right away from the beginning of this psalm. We see something about David's heart. He's in a tough spot. And, and he's kind of complaining. You know, he's, he's kind of laying it out there to God saying, God, many are against me. Many are saying this about me. And, and this kind of goes back to uh, him feeling like he was surrounded and beleaguered and assailed by so many enemies. And those were quite literal enemies, armies, troops that were coming against him. Now, you and I, we may not have to face an army armed with shields and spears and swords and that sort of thing. But we do face an army of tough times, tough circumstances, anxieties, all those things that we talked about about before. So that should set us up for something that maybe David's going to learn how to deal with this very difficult time in his life. And if he can do that, then God has left a recording for us to know how we might be able to deal with that as well. All right. So he uses that word many over and over again. And anytime you read the Bible and you see something repeated, take note of that. That's God making a point to us. And what he's doing in those first two verses is really setting the scene for us that in, in the Hebrew, David is basically saying that, that there is an exceedingly numerous amount of opposition coming my way. So if you've ever felt that way in life, Psalm 3 is a good psalm to go to. All right. Now, it's also good to understand the history that this psalm was set in. And like I said, we get a little clue that this was something that David wrote something that David prayed when his son Absalom tried to steal the throne away from him. Okay, we know a little bit about King David, right? Uh, guy had a great start. I mean, when he was a puny little snot, 
he, he had the stones to take on a giant. And, and I meant that quite literally. He had five rocks. He went and he shot them at this giant. I don't know what you were thinking, but your mind shouldn't go there. So this guy could actually face down a giant because he had that kind of faith in God. And we all go, man, I wish I had that kind of faith. That when giants come away, I, I'm just able to, to stand there and slay them. Right? Well, David had that moment, but now we're reading at a time when David's going, oh, there's just too many to fight. I don't know what to do. Things have changed, obviously, in David's life. We all have those highs and lows spiritually. David did too. David was just as broken as me and you. All right? As David's life progressed, he was a pretty decent king. But as his life progressed, he kind of got to a point where he says, okay, I've, I've made it. I have arrived. And when he did that, he stopped caring about God. He, he, he stopped caring as deeply as he once did about what God's word said. And then he went all wonky and haywire. Uh, he took a woman that didn't belong to him. He took the woman's husband's life because he did that. Uh, he didn't pay attention to what was going on in his family. When you read through First uh, and Second Samuel, you'll, you'll see David's life rise to a crescendo and then just come crashing down in shambles to a point where I'm pretty sure he was probably thinking, I am a lousy king. I am a lousy father. And, and, and I'm not a very good follower of God. What happened to me? And that's this time of life for David. It's not a good time in his life. And his son, Absalom, decides, you know what? I think it's time for a new king. Can you imagine that? Your own son saying, you're done, Dad. You're washed up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take over now. And, and Absalom went to work. You can go back and read this in 2 Samuel 15. He went to work collecting people to support him. He started raising an army for himself. I love the way the chapter starts off. And Absalom acquired a chariot and horses. Hey, dads, as soon as you give your kid a nice ride, he's going to turn on you. <laughs> and, and so he, he thought he was something, and, and he thought he could replace his dad. And so civil war was starting to erupt under David's watch. And, they, and, and his supporters came to him and said, David, your son is, is wanting to start a war to take over the throne. What are we going to do? And this is how beat David is. I'm just going to leave. I'm going to leave Jerusalem, and hopefully this thing will, will settle itself out, because I don't want bloodshed here in the city. Um, I'm just going to pack up and go. And so that's what David did. He let Absalom take the throne, and he left. Many are rising up against me. And one of those many was his own son, and some once loyal followers to him. As you continue reading, you're going to see David encounter a man named Shimei. Now, Shimei had some political beefs to, uh, to pick up with David. Shimei was a descendant of, of Saul's family, and he kind of didn't like the fact that David took over Saul's position. So here's David already having the worst day of his life. You know, have you ever heard that Alexander's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day? This is, this is David's horrible, terrible, not good, very bad day. All right? <laughs> And, and if it wasn't bad enough, you talk about kicking a dog when he's down. David's leaving town and he encounters this guy named Shimei. And Shimei is a, just a, a complete idiot. He's throwing, he's throwing rocks at David. He's throwing dirt in the air. And he's calling David all kinds of horrible names. 
It doesn't sound bad in our vernacular this time, but to call a man a, a man of blood was not a good thing to be called in David's day. That's basically saying you are without dignity, you are without honor. You're the worst possible excuse for a human being ever. And, and David's got this big old bodyguard. He says, hey, you want me to go cut off his head for you? <laughs> and David's like, no. No, just let him curse. Let him rail. Maybe it's from God. Maybe this is what God wants. You see how bad David's day is going? You ever have a day like that? Can you relate? And so that's why he said what he said. Many are saying of my soul there is no salvation for him in God. And basically what that comes down to is there's no hope for this guy. Now, that's when the Selah hits. There is no hope for this guy. And I think what God wants us to do at this point of the psalm is, is pause for a minute and say, what about me? What about me? Where is my hope? Where is my salvation? Um, what does it rest in? And that leads us to consider, well, what are our confidences? And that leads us to the next Selah. I want you to, well, you can throw this back at me. I was going to let you do it around the table, but you can just throw it back at me. Um, what are some things that, that it's easy to put our confidence in, but then we find out that's not a good place to put our confidence? Ourselves. Ourselves. All right. Yeah, we build up our self-confidence, and then something happens, and I'm like, why did I put my confidence there? You know? That's not a fun thing to discover, is it? To, to, that we should not put our confidence in just ourselves. Okay, what else? Other selves. Other selves. Yeah, we put our confidence in people. And guess what? You know, it doesn't take long to find out that even the best of people will let us down because people aren't perfect. You know, they have failures. Or maybe we put the wrong expectations on them and they didn't meet those expectations. That's not a fun thing to discover either. Okay, what else is a false confidence? Organization. Organization. If I just get all my ducks in a row, everything's going to go smoothly. I always think that, and then I'm like, where did my ducks go? In fact, I don't even have ducks. I just have squirrels on a lot of caffeine. You know, Organization, yeah, I said that works for a little while, but not always. Not always. Anything else you can think of that, that people might put their confidence in only to find out? In the last June? Money, riches, okay? A false confidence. Um, because, you know, you can have a whole lot of money one day and it'll all be gone the next day. Um, but it's very easy, especially in our culture, to think, if only I had a little bit more money. You know, think of it that way. If only I had a little bit more of this or a little bit more of that. When we say that, we're, we're listing our confidences. Jonas. False gods. False gods. Okay. So, you know, we don't bow down to these wooden and silver golden idols so much anymore, do we? But we still have idols, don't we? We still bow down to things that we replace God with. And it could be other people. It could be ourselves. It could be money. It could be a lot of things. It could be technology. I, I thought you were saying, hey, look at the time, man. No. <laughs> no yeah, technology. Is, yeah, we, we put a lot of confidence in the more technology we have, the better it's going to be. See how that works? You know, and this is a good time for us to pause and say, law and say, what do I put my confidence in, really, truly? On any given day, where, where is my confidence found? Okay, let's go to 
The third verse. David says, but you, O Lord. And notice he just said how bad things were. And then his next word is but. Okay? Whenever there's a but in the Bible, it's telling you that something different is coming. That's, there's a hinge that that door is swinging on. You're going to contrast here. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill, Selah. And that means stop and look at that for a minute. Stop and pause on that one. Park on that one for a little bit. What did David just call God in the in, the, in verse three? A shield. Okay, and 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 the word that that we get for that is is a buckler. And a buckler is a very small shield. It's like the size of a dinner, big dinner plate or a small platter, right? Um, there, there's a part of me that says, I know, I want a tower shield. I want something that's going to cover me from here to here. Kind of get this hide behind it kind of thing. But actually, a buckler is a good thing because you're very mobile with it. And you, if you're agile, you can block anything that's coming at you. But what about behind you? <laughs> How does that work? Well... What David says there when he uses the word shield really isn't buckler because it's something that's coming from like the X-Men or something. What he's saying to, about God there at that point is that you are a protective barrier behind me, through me, all around about me, repelling harm. You know, if you, if you saw The Incredibles, right? That's Violet's saying. She put that little impenetrable shield around herself or her family. And that's kind of a good picture for us to have. That what David is saying here, in spite of the very horrible, terrible, not good, very bad circumstances that he's in, is that he recognizes that he is untouchable because of his God. Not because of his own military prowess or abilities, but because that's who God is. If we all realized every morning when we got up, that that's what God is to us, our souls would go, rest, rest. But if we're getting up and we're worried about the day, we're anxious about what's going on, then something is keeping us from understanding who God really is. Now, he not only said that you are this impenetrable, harm-repelling force about me, but you are my glory. And and what he means by that, he says, God, you are the giver of my honor and my dignity. Shimei said, I didn't have any of those things. But God, your perspective of me is that I can have those things in a relationship with you. If you're ever feeling worthless, if you're ever feeling like you don't measure up because of the comparison that other people use against us. You can go to Psalm 3 and go, but wait a minute. God is my dignity and my honor. What other people say I don't have, God says you can have it all in a relationship with me through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he says, you're the lifter of my head. Now, the picture that is given in this, this phrase here is beautiful. If you've ever seen a child... Um, and let's imagine a child that's been bullied, okay? Because that's kind of David's situation here. He's being bullied, and, and, and that child just feels like I don't want to go to school tomorrow. You know, I don't want to have to have to face this. 
And you get this dad who comes up to his child and gets down on his knee and he, and he, and he takes that child's chin. You know, you know, usually they're down like this. You know, and he just he lifts that child's chin up and says, you can do this because I'm going with you. <sighs> so he's like, man, I can face all the bullies. If my dad's there, <laughs> it's going to be good. But what a, what a beautiful picture of, of a father saying, hey, chin up. Chin up, buddy. Chin up, my little princess. We're going to face this. Come what may. And you're facing it with me. I'm going to do it with you. Because of that realization, David was able to say, I cried aloud to the Lord with a, with a desperate appeal uh, to God. And then he said this, And he answered me from his holy hill. That means, that means a holy place, a place separate from us, a place that we dare not tread. But God says, come, come to my throne room. Come, come to me through Jesus Christ. I invite you to come to the throne of grace that you can find help in time of need. That's what he's talking about there. David had such a deep realization of who the character of God is that he was able to say, I'm just desperately crying out to you. And he knows that God will answer him. Answer him with the force of a witness showing up to bear testimony in court. Could you imagine that being in court? And that's where David was. He was, he was in, on trial in the court of public opinion. And he needed a witness to stand up and testify on his behalf. And God said, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me me. <laughs> David is the apple of my eye and a man after my own heart. Isn't that amazing? God said that about a man who was failing as badly as David. If he can say that about David, he can say that about you and me. If our faith is just resting in Jesus, that's, that's all it takes. God says, it's, this is mine. This is my child. Okay, we've got to move on. So then we hit this interlude because there's no Selah. Verse 5. And I love this. Here's David having, how did it go? The terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Worst day of his life. And because of his realization of who God is and what God does, he says this in verse 5. So I laid down and I slept. I laid down. That meant that, that he was rested. He was relaxed inside. To the point where he could just sleep. You know, and this is a good thing for those of us who have trouble sleeping. When we, when we begin to realize who God is and that he is for us, uh, it, it gives us peace. And when we do what David did. And then he says, and I woke again for the Lord sustained me. That meant the, the Lord gave me a place to lean. And we just sang that, you know, about, about resting and leaning on Jesus. Nothing but Jesus. And then in verse 6, he says this, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. And now this is important because there's a connecting point there. How, how many people were against David in the beginning? Many, many. Many, many. And now he's upping the ante and saying, even if there's more, even if there's many thousands, an uncountable number that's assailing me, I'm not going to be afraid. Even though they've surrounded me, because he knows that God is a shield all about him and through him. 
There's another story about a prophet named Elisha, and he had this he had this kind of cowardly servant, and they woke up one day, and the cowardly servant looked out and said, "Oh, oh, uh, Elisha, we are surrounded by a hostile army." And Elisha wakes up, looks, and says, "God, would you open my servant's eyes?" And and God opened the eyes of his servant, and suddenly the servant said, "Saw." Chariots and horses on fire surrounding the army that was surrounding him. And Elisha said, See, those who are with us are more than those who are against us. That's what it means to walk in faith with a relationship with God. That no matter how much is coming against us, there are more with us than there are against us. God overwhelms whatever it is that tries to overwhelm you and me. So that takes us to the third Selah. David has this realization of who God is and the promises of God. And and I think we're real good at that. We'll read the Bible and go, hey, that's a good promise. I'm going to claim that promise for myself. Well, you know, I don't know if that's always a good idea, you know, because maybe that promise wasn't for you. But, but we get this idea, I see that promise, and I'm going to claim that promise. Well, do we really? Come on. Do we really claim the promise? I mean, what does it look like to claim a promise? To just recognize, oh, there's a good promise there. I like that one. I'm going to write that one down and memorize it. Or does it mean to do this? God, I'm going to pray this promise until you fulfill it in my life. That takes big faith. Sometimes I think we read something and go, oh, yeah, I think God can do that. But do we live like we believe God will do that? And that's what David was doing. He's not just saying, I think God can do that. He says, I'm going to live right now believing that God will do this. And so here it is, verse 7. Arise, O Lord, Now, at this point, we might be tempted to put it in our modern vernacular where David's kind of saying, come on, God, get off your rear end and do something for me, will you? That's not at all what he's saying. He's just saying, in a rise, O Lord, he's saying, God, be God. Be God. Save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Now, did you see what just happened here in this psalm? Who was opposing David? This is a quiz. Who, who was coming up against David? His son. Okay, it's all right if you didn't remember his name. Absalom, the guy with the incredible L'Oreal hair. All right. You can read the story and find out all about that. Okay. So, yeah, his son and his, his son's forces and a guy named Shimei, who really doesn't like him at all, curses him and things like that. And, and now suddenly the language of the psalm does a weird twist on us because it suddenly goes into describing a vicious animal with sharp teeth and, and vicious fangs. And this might take us all the way back to a promise that God made concerning Jesus Christ. Because he made this promise to a serpent. And I don't like snakes, by the way. Okay? Even if they don't have things. I just don't like snakes, right? But this was the worst serpent of all. This was the devil, the biggest adversary of God, coming after his people. And God made this promise concerning Jesus, that he was going to step on the serpent's head and completely destroy it. 
He would be wounded in the process of that. The serpent would strike his heel. But he would render that serpent completely weaponless, completely powerless. And that's what Jesus Christ did on the cross. That's what it means when he said he saved us. And that's why David said, God, be God, save me. Because God is salvation. So the picture that he uses there is no longer this this physical enemy, Absalom, or an army coming against him. It's some kind of animal. And basically he's saying, God, you have the power to break the teeth of this creature and render it harmless. And that was his prayer. That was his saying, I'm going to believe this promise and I'm going to live not like I believe God can do this. I'm going to live like God will do this because this is who God is. And then we end with verse 8. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessings be on your people. What does that mean to you? God's blessings to be on his people. When you, when you hear a phrase like that, what does that make you think? And you can throw that back at me. God's blessings be upon his people. What do you think that looks like? Because that's what God wants to do. He wanted to pour out his blessings on Abraham so that all the nations of the world would realize that blessing. What do you think that blessing is? Grace. Okay. Forgiveness of sin. Okay. What else? What else do you think? Because this, when God says, I want to bless you, he is saying, this is my heart for you. This is my desire for you. Peace. Especially peace with him. Um, prosperity, not in the sense of how much I have in the bank account, but that my life is full because of the goodness of God. And, and that's probably the best way to, to, to say it is a growing and deeper realization of the goodness of God in our lives. It doesn't necessarily mean safety. <laughs> because it might mean that God's saying, hey, I want you to go into some risky places. But you have security in me. Because I'm a shield all around you and about you and through you and for you. Man, if we believe that promise. And lived by that promise. The things that could happen in this broken world. So there it is. Psalm 3. What does all this mean for us? Well, hopefully you saw in this that David made a transition from many surround me (laughs) to not being afraid of thousands upon thousands upon thousands surrounding him. That David made a transition of finding out that his worth is established by God's love for us. You know, if, if that's anything that you could take home from this, is that, that, that your worth is determined by God's love for you. And you're going, well, Nick, how much does God love me? Enough to put on human flesh and come down here and die the worst death anybody could possibly die. And while doing that, take your sins, my sins, and every other human being's sin in all of history upon himself to bear the hell of that sin. That's how much he loved us. And none of us deserve that. 
So if, if you could do this, imagine you got a price tag hanging from your ear, and on that price tag it says, the blood of Jesus Christ. What's more valuable than that? What can surpass that? And then the other thing I think that Psalm 3 teaches us is that God is a God of action. We saw this. He answers. He sustains. He rises to rescue. He saves. He renders the enemy powerless. And He blesses. And as He does that, God outnumbers whatever is coming against us. So, here's what I want you to do. I can only tell you this is what the Bible says and hopefully help you to understand that. I can give you very general applications. I want you to just talk at the table for a minute. What is this, how, how do you make this real in your own life? What is something that you think you can do? And, and share that with each other. Just take a few minutes and do that. And then we're going to give some feedback. I don't know, we probably should have a song or something to play, but just go ahead and talk.
All right, I'm down. Okay. I'll make that a homework assignment for you. <laughs> so, you know, whoever, I was having such a great conversation, I kind of don't want to end it. Well, guess what? You have the opportunity to continue that and keep talking. And then, like I said, keep digging into Psalm 3. Okay, but just real quick before we go, um, what were some practical things? What were some take-homes that maybe you talked about at your table and said, maybe this is something we can do? Or did you all talk about the Eagles-Falcon game last night? <laughs> so, so, okay. Uh, Nate mentioned um, uh, with, uh, verse 3, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me. My, oh, wait, wrong one. Uh, verse 4, actually, I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Um, and just how that's contrasted in the first two verses of, like, he's thinking about himself, he's thinking about himself, but how many times are we not actually listening for God? Like, he's calling out, and we're just like, nope, I got all this junk, I just want to fix it on this junk. Yeah. So, yeah, that's yeah. good. That's good, yeah, and maybe it also even helps our prayer life to realize that sometimes we need to listen. Not just sometimes, all the time. We should spend some time listening to God for his answer, because he does want to have a conversation with us. And we should pray with an open Bible, because sometimes the answer is right there in black and white. And sometimes the Spirit turns that switch or flips that switch to help us see that. Okay, good. Any others? Something to take home from this, something that you can do to not just listen to the Bible and say, okay, I understand that, now my brain's fat, but what's something that you can exercise your heart with? It's a poser. I'll go. Okay. <laughs> so, <clears throat> I shared this. Uh, personally, I think I've been getting a little bit bitter about doing my job and getting up in the middle of the night to help some people out. And, you know, I'm leaving and going with a bad attitude to this person who needs help. And so I can, instead of focusing on how it might be inconveniencing me and, uh, creating some problems in my life, I can focus on, you know, why God is bringing me to this person. Because really it's a gift that, first of all, I get paid for it. <laughs> I can go, you know, meet a new person and create a new relationship. Yeah. And so I can uh, switch from that. We talked a lot about making that change from focusing on ourselves to focusing on uh, what God might be doing in that situation. Okay, that's good. That's good. And, and you're helping somebody who's probably having one of the worst moments of their life right now. That's why they had to call you. And they don't need me to make it worse. Yeah, they don't. They don't need Mr. Krabby Krabmeister. So <laughs> and that gives you the opportunity to come in and maybe lighten up their their bad experience a little bit. So yeah, there you go. See, that's just being an ambassador for Jesus, no matter where you're at, no matter what you're doing. And that's what we're all called to do. That's that's the mission is to step into the brokenness of people's lives and say, look, you know, maybe we can make this go a little bit better. Okay? Any others before we take off? This is good stuff to share. Do you see how this is working? You're able to encourage one another at your tables, and then other tables are able to encourage uh, the rest here by, you might go, wow, that was an astounding idea. Uh, Jesse just, you know, Jesse, I'm going to, you know, pick on you just for a minute here. He, he asked a great question. You know, David was crowing about... God breaking the teeth of the wicked. Well, what about David? What made him so stinking righteous that he shouldn't get punched in the mouth too? Right? Okay. Well, let's turn that back on any of us. What makes any of us have the right to say, God's on my side? 
You know, David knew he didn't live a life that qualified him to say, God's on my side. He was just claiming a promise. He's the beneficiary of the promises that God had made to the patriarchs before him. And in the same way, none of us earn God's blessing. None of us earn God rising up for us. Um, it's, it's something that was given to us as a gift. We're beneficiaries of the promises that were made through Jesus Christ. And, and all God wants us to do is to live like we believe that. To live like we believe that. To, to live like we know we have a champion. Even though we may not have deserved one. You know, like I said, a lot of the, day, the tough circumstances David was facing was because of his own choices. And they were bad choices. And the same thing happens in my life too. Um, but isn't it good to know that through Jesus Christ, we have a champion. No one, no one can overpower our God. Wow, what a thing to walk into this next week. What a thing to take back with us as we go forth from here. So let me pray. And as I said, I think it's a good idea to take Psalm 3 and turn it into a prayer. So I'm going to do that now. And you can pray it however you want to pray it throughout this week. But I want to pray for you in, in this sense. And I want to encourage you, keep continuing in community. Keep being the body of Christ and speak God's word into one another's lives. Let's pray. God, life, um, life can be so overwhelming some days we feel assailed from all sides. And some days we can feel like, man, there's just, it just doesn't seem like there's any hope at all. Um, some days we just feel that beat up. But God, you are an impenetrable barrier that surrounds us. On, on top of that, you, you desire to dignify us. And, and you smile upon us and, and you tell us, chin up, kiddo. Lord, that's the sort of unconditional fatherly love that that makes us want to run to you. Even if we're a little bit frightened to enter into your presence. Lord, any bit of restful sleep or or peace that we get, we, we get from you. And so we ask for it, Lord, give it to us. And we know that then we can rise to face another day. Come, come what may. Jesus, face the day with us. Free us from our own fears and our frustrations. Because we know nothing can overpower you. And knowing that, we know that we are secure in your arms, in your love. So Lord, help us to realize the fulfillment of your promises that were made sure at the cross of Jesus. Let us know what it's like to walk in peace of heart, peace of mind, and peace of soul, believing hard that you do want the best for us, even though we never deserved it. Lord, what kind of love is that? But you give it to us, and we thank you for that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Hey, thanks, everybody. For you know, this is, we're, we're learning as we go here, <laughs> as we do this. Um, I hope you had an enjoyable evening. Uh, I hope you feel a sense of peace and rest, and I hope you continue to walk in that because we need that so bad. And I hope through next week you think. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common.